What's up, bikers? Episode 170. You feel like I feel do I need to say the number every time? I just like it. I don't know why. It makes me feel accomplished. I was thinking about this the other day, and I was like, man, maybe when I hit a thousand, I can stop saying because that's gonna be a mouthful just to start out with. Anyways, appreciate you guys all coming by. We're gonna sit down and talk to Cam McCall today, which I'm pretty excited about. And um before we get started, there are a few things that I like talking about, and one of them is my new sponsor for this year. Um, super stoked about working with Tasco. Um, honestly, they have uh, really, really been. I've been friends with Nate from Tasco since pretty much when I started the biker channel, and um, just this year we decided to work together officially. So I'll, I'll be riding riding his gear throughout the year. But honestly, I was. Last year, I pretty much was on Tasco stuff all last year anyway. So those of you guys that are dealing with the cold weather right now, they have a glove and sock kit called Dawn Patrol. And uh, I wore them the other day. It was like 37 degrees when I started riding. And honestly, I was pretty, pretty stoked with the way that it worked out. The gloves have like a, they're definitely, you know, a thicker winter kind of glove, but on the inside, it has like a fleecy kind of feel on the inside. It's like, ooh, that's kind of cozy for a mountain bike glove. You wouldn't expect it. But otherwise, yeah, all the like normal stuff, like screen stuff, that all worked. And uh, they also have a, a new little color kit that came out, the Blue Spruce Kit. And I got these the other day in the mail. And I'll be honest, the colors look cool online, but they look even better in person. So if you're, if you're on the fence on it, definitely order it. It is definitely worth it. So aside from that, those of you guys that know from a couple of months ago, I did that that Fazari video on the LaSalle Peak, and I honestly really, truly fell in love with, with the bike. And it was enough to get me to stop riding Santa Cruz bikes. So here we are, and run rolling into 2024, and I decided to work with Fazari for the whole year. So you'll see me on some of their stuff. If you're thinking about getting a, a, a pretty pretty bomb 170-170 uh, bike, this thing's a smasher. I'll tell you right now, it blew me away. The mullet is what I originally bought it for. I, I really like that mullet action. And the thing is super fun in that aspect. But I blew up one of my hubs, rear hub, and I had to put it on 29ers. And dude, I hate to say it, but man, this thing's faster as a 29er. So if you're on the fence, you don't know which one you want, go over there, check out the LaSalle. And as every other company in the bike industry right now, they're definitely, um, they are definitely, um, having all the sales. So anyways, let's go ahead and get started. Let's see. What's up, Cam? What up? <laughs> How's it going, man? I'm doing well. It's uh, pretty snowy. In your intro, you said something about for those of you who are in the cold right now, that's me yeah. for sure. Yeah. We got like eight inches of snow the other day. It was our first big dump and we we're supposed to get another Ugh. eight to 12 tonight. So I was just like walking around outside, getting a little ice off the driveway before it gets because I, yeah. I snow blowed like very, really lazily the other day. So I'm like, yeah, I better get it good before it really dumps again tonight. You're, you're in Bend, right? I'm in Bend, Oregon. Yeah, yeah, dude. It's so fun riding up there. What made you decide to go up there? Uh, my wife is from here. Uh -huh. And we relocated here because we decided this was the best spot to drop anchor, raise the kids. We mm -hmm. moved in 2014. And that, as it turns out, was a pretty good time to move here. It was, uh, it, it has blown up since, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was hard leaving where I grew up. I grew up in Aptos, which is in Santa Cruz County. And I never thought I'd leave there, 
but I had friends up here. I would come up here and visit uh, my wife's mom and stepdad live up here. So we'd come visit them. We'd always stop in on the way up to Whistler and mm -hmm. yeah, a couple like good little, little visits here had me thinking, you know what, maybe I can do this. And somehow this September will be 10 years. It went by fast. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. It's a good scene up there, man. Every time I, I, um, a friend of mine runs project three, two, one, the hub company. Okay. And they're originally out of like Fresno or something, Fresnec. And, uh, and uh, they relocated up there. I don't know how many years it's been at this point, probably at least five or six years. And uh, no, it has to be. Yeah, that's probably about right. We'll call it that. And uh, anyway, so I go up there all the time and, and ride with him up there. And um, it's really like the the riders up there are really diverse. Like I, I, I noticed like, like, a lot of females on the trail up there compared to like where I, I ride. It's definitely a majority of men. But when I, every time I'm up there, I'm like, there's like, like, it's like 50, 50 out there. For sure. I think anybody can ride up here because there's, I mean, diverse is a good word for it because you have a bunch of different skill levels all riding in the same area. Certain times of year, you've got the whole spectrum represented mm -hmm. and you know, no shortage of like entry level trails here. So yeah. teaching my kids to ride mountain bikes, this is a really good spot to like fall in love with mountain biking because it's pretty rare for anybody to go ride bend and bite off more than they're willing to chew. You know, it's all pretty yeah. tame. And so yeah. it doesn't turn people away. And then in the summertime when bachelor is hitting, then you've got everything. You've got the far end of the spectrum as well. Like some, really technical downhill trails some really fun jump trails and then there's this time of year where you you better just ski or snowboard because there's no riding happening <laughs> yeah. right now but yeah I, yeah I would agree with you there's there's a lot of different types of riders out here and it seems like everybody you bump into you know whether whether they ride a ton everybody rides at least a little bit you know yeah yeah how old are your kids they're 10 and 7 oh uh, okay so there's Two some daughters. really good stuff like um like that whole like fills area i mean it's like such a gradual downhill where you can i can see where we're getting the kids into riding there is just really good and then like they're they're your trails up there are like have lots of really good corners and stuff in them so it's like really good to like kind of learn that there's like cornering techniques and the dirt's not always the greatest, but so that probably plays into helping like learn, you know, <laughs> that's the thing for sure. Yeah. You can, I guess like a positive spin on that is like you have opportunities to learn how to drift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. You got some loose dirt depending on the time of year. Obviously when it is perfect, it's pretty awesome. You can ride yeah. a trail that you thought you didn't like, and then it could become your favorite trail because it can pretty much throw all the moisture. It can handle all the moisture you can throw at it. Right, and if right. that moisture comes in the form of snow, then that's another story. But like, if it just dump rain, spring, fall, mm -hmm. then it's just, it's hero dirt. It's like playground out there. And uh, yeah, nice. Phil's trail, you brought that up. That's definitely a spot I bring my daughters and we just like, you know, we just go as far as we want to go until they're over it. And then we turn around and there's a little skill center there. So there's tabletops. And uh -huh. my oldest daughter like fell in love with tabletops last summer. Uh -huh. So that's been like, pretty exciting because i've never really wanted to push them too hard into it but she fell in love with it on her own we went up to bellingham for the tune-up and just me and her mm -hmm. and she yeah. had a great time there riding with a bunch of other kids and then when we got home she's like do we have tabletops 
do we have pump tracks? I'm like, yeah, remember I've taken yeah. it. And now we go back and she loves it. She, she said something. Yeah, weird. There's, there's like a little like pump track sort of up there at the top of uh, what is that? Like funner, I think somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah. Winoga parking lot. That's like a snow park in the winter time. And uh, yeah, if you rode up funner, when you kind of plateaus out, there's a parking lot with a pump track in it. Yeah. 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 We've also got a paved one too, right in Bend. So like really close to what the part of town that we actually live in, there's one of those Vela Solutions paved pump tracks, which is super fun. Oh, nice. Oh, that's super rad. You know, I, I, cities like that are super fun. Like where usually when I come up, I don't know what the name of the trail is. We always call it the moose sex trail. Cause there's like, it's like only open a certain time of the year because there's like moose that like, breed in that area or something like that okay okay like, that makes sense <laughs> yeah so we like jokingly started calling it that and so it's like is the moose sex trail up and it's like basically we drive up pretty much to bachelor and then ride all the way back to town yeah and uh yeah and it's like cities that are set up like that it's just really rad to be able to do that like ashland's that way too where it's like go to the top of the mountain ride all the way back to where you're having lunch and beers you know like super fun Yes, plenty of places to have lunch and beers after your ride here. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, you guys got a a, a full gamut of, of beers there. You're a beer guy, or like a not a drinker? Or... Yeah, no, I uh, I am a beer guy. We we like we uh, we have so many good breweries in town, but also I have a Sierra Nevada sponsorship, which is pretty awesome. Uh, there you and go. So <laughs> so yeah, I enjoy I enjoy a post ride beer for sure. Right on, man. Do they 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 don't have anything in Bend though, huh? Uh, Sierra, Sierra Nevada. Nevada has their breweries in Chico, California, and Mills River, North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I wasn't sure if they had one of their like little, like, kind of like pop up restaurant and kind of tap room things up there or not. Maybe but, someday. Uh, That's what we need in Ben. Yeah. We need more breweries and tap rooms. No, we don't. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> My one buddy, there's a, you guys have that like growler guys in the, in the, uh, the gas station up there where it's like, you can fill up a growler while you're getting your, your gas tank filled up. Yep. And, uh, my one buddy's like, every time he's like, dude, do you know, you can get a growler fill. I'm like, I, I've heard this about a thousand times, but, but so <laughs> when I, when I moved here, that's like what everybody was saying. Like, Oh, you got to get a growler. I'm like, what is a, gr I've never heard of a growler before moving here. I get it yeah. now. You're like, dude, I'm keeping my pants on. I don't know what you guys are doing, but go to get a growler. growler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you grew up down in you said Aptos, so down down kind of close to the ocean in Santa Cruz area. What got you into riding? There's a good scene there. What got me into riding was seeing some kids who were a couple years older than me whizzing by on full suspension bikes and you know, I was aware of BMX, I was aware of motocross, and I dabbled in in both of those. And when I saw a full suspension mountain bike going by, I'm like, what? whatever that thing is, that's like taking the best part. The things that I like the most about BMX and motocross, and you can just do it right out your door. You don't have to like, you know, when mm -hmm. you're a kid, find somebody to drive you in a truck to go to a legal riding spot for a dirt bike. And mm -hmm. uh so I fell in love with it just from seeing it. And then I got curious and I had to discover more about it. And then, you know, push comes to shove, ended up becoming friends with all those kids that I was watching riding. And uh, yeah, we, we developed a really cool little scene there. We have great trail network in Aptos. And at the time we had a public lot where we were allowed to build dirt jumps. We were allowed to build dirt jumps. 
And so we had a really good dirt jump scene down there. And uh, obviously there's still quite a scene in that area to this day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, I want to say when I talked to Kendall weed, he was like kind of from that area. Yeah. He's from somewhere around there. We used to always race together. Yeah. And I think um, Andrew Taylor too, when I had him on, I think he said he was from that area ish. I know. Yeah. he grew up in Santa Rosa and then yeah. once he was of age to move out, then he was, uh, yeah, bouncing around different, different houses in Santa Cruz with Greg Watts and, and, uh, yeah, a couple other friends and yeah, those were fun houses. They would, they would always, they would always have, have good get togethers. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you guys were like in that like stage, were you thinking, that you guys were all gonna, you know, make it somewhere someday, or were you just thinking we're just like having fun and no like real thoughts of trying to be pro, or like what was that? What was like the mindset at that time? Yeah, definitely just having fun, like getting home and being like, well, I could start my homework now, or I could ride until it's dark. Definitely mm-hmm. didn't think that I would be whatever I am right now, thirty-seven, two months or one month away from being. How did that happen? From being 38. It's January right now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'll be 38 next year. But uh yeah, I never thought it was gonna be anything other than a hobby. And uh-huh. this was all a big surprise. It's maybe it's all one big sick practical joke, and somebody's gonna jump out from a curtain right now, 20 years right. later, and be like, ha, just kidding. Right, right. <laughs> Could be. So how'd you get like you just were riding BMX just cause like that's kind of what everybody did or it was like, you know, was there any other kind of influence that got you into that? Or it was just like, Hey, well, it's I wasn't really good at anything, mm-hmm. but I tried everything and yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had fun with all those things that I tried, but yeah, everything from your standard group sports, what do you call them? Team sports. Baseball was my mm-hmm. favorite, but mm-hmm. yeah, you like, you got a skateboard, you go to the beach, you borrow your next door neighbor's waterlogged surfboard, catch a couple waves. This is good, but I'm not good at it. Um, yeah. Rollerblades, maybe those. Mm, no, mm, no, let's not do that anymore. That didn't work. <laughs> Soap shoes. Let's try that. Mm, <laughs> that's not cool. <laughs> I didn't think um, I heard of this. Was that a thing or you're just making that one up? That's a thing. It's like rollerblades without the wheels. <laughs> oh, wow. You're meant that to like. crazy slide on rails um <laughs> basketball yeah. uh diving team diving team there's where i guess that's the first little hint this guy likes being in the air oh he yeah likes flipping diving team speedos too many too too many rules and too many speedos so yeah. all those things came and went and then yeah i saw those kids riding those full suspension mountain bikes around and i said i gotta try that when i tried it i was like this feels good and I was kind of mm-hmm. good at it. So mm-hmm. I kept doing it and started racing and uh, wasn't that good at that. All right. What, what kind of racing were you doing initially? Downhill and dual slalom. Yeah. So we'd go up to Donner Ski Ranch and race. We'd go to Sea Otter, which was obviously really close. We'd go race. Yeah. And Sea Otter is where we saw a jump contest for the first time. After pro mm-hmm. slalom, they would have a big dirt jump in the middle of the course and any of the pro slalom racers who wanted to compete in the dirt jump contest would just go compete in the dirt jump contest. There was this little Grom who was what a year younger than me. 
Kyle Strait, who competed in it one year. And this guy did a heel clicker, and I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I had already gone to Summer X Games to watch freestyle motocross and saw Travis Pastrana and went, well, that is the coolest thing ever, but I'm not going to be able to do that. Like, right. I could barely jump my dirt bike. I'm not going to be grabbing my back fender and hanging my body off the back, crossing my legs. That's yeah. too far out of reach for me. But what Kyle Strait was doing, this little, like, puka shell wearing Inland Empire kid, I was like, that's mm -hmm. sick. And so uh, the, the group of friends that I was riding with, we just spent the whole next year learning tricks and building our jumps a little bit bigger so we'd have a little bit more airtime. And then the following year at Sea Otter, we were doing that dirt jump contest. And then we'll just fast forward uh, the next year. That same year, no, the next year is when people started experimenting with slope style competitions. The first experiment was the Red Bull Freeze Ride in Whitefish, Montana. They looked at ski and snowboard slope style and thought, this is pretty cool. Maybe mountain bikes could do this. And so they they did a slope style for mountain bikes on snow. And that was kind of a proof of concept. And that was the precursor to um, people in Whistler deciding to build a slope style contest out of dirt, a slope style course out of dirt. And, and then the sport was born. So it was like really good timing. You know, I stumbled into this sport as the sport was evolving in the direction that I liked. And so mm -hmm. it was just great timing. Can you explain slope style to like people that don't, don't know what it is? Yeah. So the way I always explain slope style is if, if you're familiar with ski and snowboard slope style, then it's easy. You go, oh, it's like that, but on bikes, but if you're not, there's a start and a finish. And between the start and the finish, there's a bunch of different obstacles. You do whatever you want from start to finish and you're going to be judged on your tricks, your amplitude, your style, your execution, your overall impression. And the early days of slope style, there were a bunch of different line options, a bunch of different features on the course. And a big part of the strategy was deciding where you were going to go, what features played toward your strengths and how you were going to decide to link them together with a group of tricks that hopefully complemented each other, not do the same trick the whole way down, and then hopefully end up on the podium. That's slope style. Um, slope style still exists. It's bigger than ever. It's a little bit different now. There's no real options on the course. It's pretty much one line. Everybody rides the same features, makes it a little bit easier to judge. And shit, it's like one of those sports where you're like, damn, this could be in the Olympics at some point. You know, who knows mm -hmm. if that's, uh, you know, could really happen. But I'm sure they never thought that the sports that are included in the Olympics now would ever be included in the Olympics. But it's right. pretty much, it's like, cut out for it and it's pretty wild to look back at how it started and how big it is now yeah 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 i'm sure at the time did you feel like you were you were part of something that was like new that was going to be like forever or it was it just like this is what we're doing mm, i had like high hopes for it for sure like yeah. When you asked like, oh, when you first started riding, did you think this was going to be anything other than a hobby? My answer was no, definitely not. But when Slope Style started, if you're asking, did I ever think it was going to turn anything? I was like obsessed with it turning into something like yeah. we looked at that as like, we got to like take care of this thing. We got to show it for how badass it really is. And really the story was no other sports that we loved and emulated thought that our sport was cool and that mm -hmm. that cuts deep. Right. So that was our mission was mm -hmm. to make this sport awesome and show everybody that it's awesome so that it mm -hmm. gets the respect it deserves. And hopefully someday gets on a level playing field in terms of respect with all those other sports that we grew up idolizing.
Yeah. Do you feel like, like it's there now? Yeah. There's a lot of cool things that happen these days where you look at the scenario and go, this is pretty rad. I never would have thought this would have happened. A lot of, you know, influential athletes from those other sports love to ride mountain bikes. And that, Mm -hmm. that right there is just so killer. And, you know, a lot of them are the ones who back in the day were vocal about this sport is lame (laughs) and now they Mm -hmm. love it. And so it's like, all right, cool. Better late than never. Like you like it now. The bikes got better too. So that's a big part of it. A lot of other sports looked at the bikes that we were riding back then and viewed them as shopping carts. And they're like, well, that is not cool because those bikes are going to break and they look funny. And yeah, maybe the gear we were wearing looked funny. Well, early mountain biking, the gear everybody's wearing looked funny. The gear I wore probably looked funny too. If you ask some of my friends, but like (laughs) when slope style started, it was like jeans, a Jersey, and a full face that looked cool. You know, that was like mm-hmm. another example of us borrowing from all the things that we liked from other sports. And now look at Emil, he's standing on like, what is he like? I'm not studied up cause we don't have a crankworks for another two months, but what is it like 13 crankworks slope style wins? I think is what he's sitting on right now. And jeans, a Jersey and a full face helmet, you know, like it's kind of yeah. cool to see that, um, you know, that if, our sport, vibe cool. there. Our sport looks cool. Yeah. And that dude and all the other guys like Fedco and, you know, Janon and uh, all the guys who have been in the sport for a long time, they're all really, really respected by a, lo- a lot of the BMX and moto riders, you know, and that's cool. Mm-hmm. What about mountain biking itself? Do you feel like it's really come a long way or like, like as far as like being more mainstream or you still still feel like there's like room for it to grow more that's a funny conversation right now isn't it because you ask that yeah. four years ago and you're like we're gonna live forever <laughs> <laughs> and i definitely think it's way more popular now than it was pre-pandemic obviously the industry's got some growing pains some struggles it's dealing with right now but i think optimistically speaking the way mountain biking is viewed and the way mountain biking is accepted and the place it holds within all the other, you know, sports activities. Um, Cause some people look at it as a sport as a sport. Some people just look at it as a recreational activity. And I think more people um, are involved now than ever. And I think there's definitely way more people who go for one ride a week. Now, maybe they don't consider themselves a mountain biker, but they do it. And, yeah. and that's a great thing, you know, um, the industry will have to just like uh, run recovery mode for a little bit. But hopefully uh, once things normalize a little bit, what we're left with is more mountain bikers, because I think we're I think we have more mountain bikers right now than we've ever had, which is awesome. Yeah, I think one of the indicators to me is like when you watch TV and there's like commercial for trucks or cars, there's almost always a clip of somebody mountain biking, like them carrying bikes. Like before, maybe it was just like, oh, there's these guys working or there's this like cattle rancher guy or, you know, and then it'd be like, oh, look, they have surfboards on their car. And now it's like, oh, the surfboard guys are there. And then there's the mountain bikers too. And if they're starting to put that in there, it's like, hey, this is really getting to be like a demographic that's really part of, uh, that we need to touch with. You know what I mean? 
For sure. It's a bunch of suits sitting around a table crunching numbers. What are people, what are the cool people into? All right. Well, the people <laughs> who are into it, do they think it's cool? All right. Yeah. We'll throw a, we'll throw a half second clip of a mountain bike in there. All right. Let's do this. <laughs> like you're there at least. That's cool. You know, yeah, back, yeah, in the, yeah, sure. back in the day, we wouldn't have been included in, in any of that. So I would say that's a good sign. I would agree with you on that. Right on, man. What do you, um, <clears throat> whenever I have, gotten better at riding throughout the years and i'm definitely like not anywhere even near where you are but as i've gotten better i've noticed that you know some trails that i used to think were the sickest most intense fun trails like they they change and they're not quite as fun anymore you know or maybe it's fun in a different way so when you go from like riding trail bikes to the stuff that you do like what kind of enjoyment do you get out of riding mountain bikes on more of a like air quote kind of like normal, normal ride? I think you gotta, you gotta love throwing a leg over your bike, whether you're going to go hit the biggest jump you've ever hit, or you're going to hit the most boring trail you've ever ridden. You know, that's like, mm -hmm. that's a huge goal for me for sure. And that's kind of a cool question. The way you phrase it is like, yeah, there are times where you like, whether it's, putting too much pressure on yourself to like try to progress or whatever, or just like, Oh gosh, you have to get to a certain level to like, like wake yourself up and be like, Oh, that was fun. And so yeah, uh, I, I just want to love mountain biking for mountain biking. And so like, I'll just try to check myself if I'm riding something and I, and I can feel myself starting to be like, Oh, this trail is kind of lame. Just be like, well, it's better than no trail. Think about all the times yeah. you've been hurt. Wouldn't you love to just go on any trail? Like you, yeah you spoiled asshole you just have fun on this trail and so yeah. that's a that's a thing that i try that i pursue that you know i want to like like you're nobody is like nobody has ridden so much that, that mountain biking can't be fun at lower levels you know if that's the yeah. case well you just you're in the wrong frame of mind you know go inside on that corner and try to throw a little roost you know like ride it with somebody else and see it through their eyes that works mm -hmm. riding with my kids is insane I'll like be hooting and hollering, riding like a, you know, a bike length tabletop. If I'm riding it with them, it's like the most exhilarating thing ever. It doesn't have to be your mm -hmm. kids. It can just be anybody that, that you're riding with to see them progress can, can remind you of what it feels like to progress as well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, I think there's so many things like that, that people kind of lose sight of as well. Like, like I'm a big advocate for night riding because it'll take the trails that you've ridden a million times and all of a sudden it feels like a totally new place, you That's know, and it, and it, and it, you ever, you ever do any night rides? No, no, you should try no. it. Honestly. Should try yeah. it. Should try I think it. there's, there's a couple of things I like about it is like what I just said is so it kind of like revives places where, you know, you kind of get in a grind where you maybe ride a lot of the same trails a lot and, they it's like you know where every rock is you know what i mean like you know where every like you know what line you're taking every time and and yeah. um and i think night riding just because it's dark for whatever reason it changes that and then it also like the way that the light reflects off the ground and the rocks and things it it makes you ride in a different like like you have to ride a little looser or maybe like be be a little bit less like like aware of what's coming at you you know what i mean so because of that i feel like it, it i think it makes you a stronger rider so i don't know that's rad i like yeah. if i'm trying to find a way to like uh spark the fire on a ride or something too i think like like how 
small of a wave I have to catch to have fun surfing. Cause I'm, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I'm just a recreational surfer and I'm like, all right, can yeah. I just like walk, look, ride this trail with that perspective, you know, like enjoy the feel of like, you know, like when you G out into a corner, like if that mm-hmm. didn't, well, if that wasn't fun for you, well, like maybe your head somewhere else, just like, just yeah. focus on being where you are. Like the way I am on a small wave where I just think there's no place on the planet I'd rather be than like, how did I end up on this wave? Like this energy is pushing me enough to where I can stand up and the board supports me. And I go like, like rolling on a bike down a trail is pretty sick. And yeah, just yeah. reframing the point of view, I think helps. Or riding yeah. in the dark where you can't see the rocks coming. That I'm going to yeah. have to try that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the lights are so bright nowadays, but like, uh, it's definitely, it's a definitely different, different perspective. So I think what you said earlier too, about, um, you know, where you were talking about teaching your kids, um, that definitely opens up a whole different aspect as well. Even if it's not your kids, like maybe it's a friend or something, but, um, are you a good, are you good at articulating how to ride bike? Cause I personally noticed that I'll watch other YouTubers tell like how to do a bunny hop. And I'll be like, that is what I'm doing. But I had no clue how to tell somebody how to do it. You know Man, what I mean? I would love to be really good at it. It takes me a while. Like if I'm one-on-one with somebody, we're going to get there. You know? Yeah. If I've got to quickly like tell you in 15 seconds, then I don't know what I'm going to say, you know? But if like yeah. we're one-on-one and I can like analyze what they're doing and what they should be doing and try to articulate that. That's something that I definitely am striving to be better at because I I think if you can unlock, if you can find the right words to unlock, like say how to jump to people, mm-hmm. then that's so amazing. Um, yeah. It's so easy. It's so easy. A lot of people do too much. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are like pulling up on the bike and like, really just doing way too much with their body than they need to, instead of just letting the energy kind of sink into the jump, um, keeping strong with your arms and legs, not letting them collapse through the G force. If you do as close to nothing as you can possibly do, you're probably going to sail pretty straight, but those words aren't the perfect words to tell somebody because that can be misinterpreted and then they could go over the bars (laughs) because that's not, that's not too different than how I tell somebody how to do a front flip. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Just do so nothing. Like, It'll happen. <laughs> what are the right words to teach somebody how to jump? But um, I have a little jump in my neighborhood. Well, I have a fun like practice jump in my neighborhood that I can fart around with tricks on. And then mm-hmm. I've got a smaller jump for kids to learn. And so it's a tabletop on one side. It's a double jump on the other side. And so that's really, I am actively trying to crack that code because it is really fun to watch somebody like figure it out when it clicks. Mm -hmm. And it does remind you of learning how to jump because it wasn't always easy. You know, there's like, there's all the injuries from, from trial and error that prove it wasn't easy. But if you can't figure out the right words and one-on-one is, and with a lot of words is the best way to do it. But teaching people how to jump is like, is so fun. Can't say I'm an expert at it, but I'm actively working on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you find that, like, at least in my at my skill set level, there's always like people that are better at, like, maybe jumping than technical, or vice versa, or something like that. Like, do you feel like your your like technical chops are at the same level as like like how comfortable you are in there? Uh, I mean, I can. 
I feel comfortable on technical sections. And I think nowadays I probably have more fun doing that than, mm -hmm. than jumping just because yeah. it is like such pure mountain biking, you know, like cornering, carrying speed, looking ahead. Those are all things that are really, really timeless. Dirt jumping, I might be like, oh, I didn't even do a hard trick today. You know, mm -hmm. if they're steep and fun and flowy, then that's always going to be a blast. But I feel like technical skill is always something that you're continuously getting better at. And it's such a timeless skill. Mm -hmm. I, th I think I enjoy that more now than I ever have. And I think like yeah. even, e even the top World Cup racers will tell you that. Like a, like a really mean technical section and you just ride through it in a way that, that seemingly made it flat and simple. Mm -hmm. Like that is like yeah. a really rewarding feeling. And even the best riders in the world at that, you know, the top downhill riders, they're addicted to getting better at it. It's like yeah. playing an instrument in that regard. You're never going to be an expert at it. You're always going to be getting better. Yeah. I think for me, that's one of those things that I like about the technical riding is just like, I like looking at something and thinking like when you first look at it, you're like that shouldn't be able to be ridden and then you like clean it and you're like that was sick you know and you're like for sure okay. yeah yeah and then Those you see your buddy you... come through and hit some other line and you're like i didn't even see that you know <laughs> it's just like a, it's like a big game you know yeah, there's those days where you feel like you can do do no wrong and that's the day to yeah. go ride something super tech you know because that is super rewarding when you get to the bottom of the section and you just greased it i love that yeah so um how much time do you spend like practicing the 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 like the dirt jump kind of aspect of, of riding? I'm not really practicing anymore. I, I go dirt jumping when the season is right for it now. A lot of times the dirt jumps here are either covered in snow or really, really dry and dusty and and uh kind of just dilapidated so when the mm -hmm. conditions are prime and i can go out there with a flathead shovel and like steepen them up then it's kind of all i want to do mm -hmm. um because that brings back that like that that like time in your life of being back at aptos kind of like makes you yeah. feel good that way yeah we've got these jumps here in bend this part called the layer and there's mm -hmm. this one section of jumps there that like reminds me of what it was like to just be at the post office jumps riding steep rhythms and like getting in the air and doing a trick that you didn't plan and then landing and then just deciding what trick you're going to do on the next one. Like I love improvisational dirt jump sessions. It's mm -hmm. that is what I love the most about dirt jumping. And for that to be at its best, you need, you know, a really tight rhythm section of dirt jumps and mm -hmm. don't, I never realized how much I missed that because it's just something that I did every day growing up where I did when we had those jumps, but when our jumps are wet and I can, pack them in nice and steep and smooth and I can get a session like that at the lair. Like I feel 18 again and it's, yeah. it's the best. And uh, yeah, with all the snow we just had, it's going to be a bit before I'm riding those jumps, but I really this winter want to get to St. George and ride the dirt jumps that the locals are building mm -hmm. down there because I watch footage of those sessions and it reminds me of our post office days. And, and uh, you know, that's where you go to bring your downhill bike and ride Virgin but I am so into those jumps that I've been watching that I, I'm, con I'm considering just going there with just a jump bike and just yeah. like, going for a dirt jump trip. That's something that's on the hit list for this winter. 
if somebody is like aspiring to like get to the level that you're at now, would you like, you would say that like dirt drums is kind of like the gateway to get into the slope style stuff. And like, it's really important to build your skills there. Or how, how do you like look at it that way? For slope style? Yeah. Now more than ever, I feel like in the early days of slope style, you had to have a decent foundation of tricks, but then you had to have the versatility to be able to apply those. So a bunch of less than ideal jumps and different types of trickable features. Nowadays, mm -hmm. the courses are optimized for dirt jump tricks. And don't get me wrong, like, like the drops are real deal drops, you know? Yeah. And the cannon logs are real deal cannon logs. And for riders who spend time at the dirt jumps or at the indoor skate parks during the winter to just show up and and ride the Rotorua slope style course like it's a skate park when those features are so gigantic, it's so impressive. Those riders somehow these days have the ability to train on really small features and then click and drag their tricks and adapt them to the big slope style courses, which is amazing. But I think back in the day, you had to be dirt jumping, you had to be riding downhill, you had to be you know out in natural terrain, mm -hmm. hitting like quirky features so that your tricks were so locked you can do them on messed up stuff. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, I think you yeah. can hang out at the dirt jumps and at the foam pits and at the airbags. And, and ideally for those riders, if they also have drops into airbags, which a lot of them do, then, I mean, the tricks that they do now are things that nobody thought would be possible back mm -hmm. when I was competing. It's absolutely amazing. It's a different sport. Do you think, what do you think? Um, what do you think? causes that just people seeing like you guys push the limit and they want to push past that or do you think it has to do with bike tech or like yeah it definitely doesn't have to do with bike tech i think it's just the kids who ride slope style on the crankworks world tour now are like pretty young and so when they were really young and they were watching videos what was established as their base level of normal was 30 times what the base level of normal was for the previous generation. So they go like, oh, you have to have backflip bar spins, double tail whips, and, you know, flip whips off step downs. Okay, well, I better get to work. So they got to work. They learned all that stuff. And then they get curious and start inventing stuff. And mm -hmm. I think it's just that evolution of kids growing up with a different normal and then building upon that. Mm -hmm. How do you go from like, maybe just like doing stuff in your your local jump park to like stepping up to that next level where they're like some of the huge stuff that you you've done in your career like what is what is the thing that that helps you to get to there i mean it's not like you just go up to the top of the hill and you're like send it you, you know yeah i mean you gotta practice on something safe for a while until you feel like there's a decent percentage chance that you're going to land it when you try it on something big, but it is kind of like that. It is kind of like send it at some point you have to send it. Yeah, you can yeah. Practice all you want. Like if you look at the riders who do have amazing training compounds, you're like sick, that gets them to a certain point that gets them to the physical point. And then from mm -hmm. there it's mental. Mm -hmm. You have to pull the trigger and just go for it at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's those times when you get injured, like, that's you know that never happens though. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. Never. But um, like, how do you deal with that? You know, how or how have you dealt with that through your career? Because I know in like for me, riding bike is like it's like my therapist, you know, and I, I had a, a shoulder injury once where I couldn't ride for a while. And it just like I felt like I was I felt like I was going crazy because I didn't have my outlet, you know. And uh, I would imagine that if that was also my the job that paid my bills and everything like that, that has to like compound even more. How how do you how do you how have you worked through that? Oh, it just doesn't affect you at all. You just you just get back after you know four <laughs> months on the couch and be like, all right, let's try it again. <laughs> Don't worry about your safety or your bills or nothing. You just send it. Yeah, yeah there's no yeah. foam pit for that, right? There's no foam right. pit for that mental hurdle you're going to have to get over at some point when you get back on the horse. And it's so hard, man. Um, any rider who's had any level of like quote success in the free ride realm has had to deal with it. And, and mm -hmm. it's gotta be the hardest part and it is 100% mental. You can do all the physical rehab you want, but then you get to that point where it's time to just, you know, you slowly build, you try to slowly build, but there is some of that like in the back of your mind, like this is exactly what you were doing five months ago when you put yourself in that situation. Like what is different about right now? What are you going to do to like my little mm -hmm. thing that I do right now is, and I think it took me way too long to figure this out. This is just a little mental trick. I go at the beginning of any session, any trip, any excursion where there's a potential for in, for an injury. I go, mm -hmm. all right, how, how much do you value this ending with high five smiles and everybody's safe? Everybody's healthy. Like, where does that rank on your list of priorities right now? And right now it, it ranks really high on my list of priorities. And when I get hurt, it's a lot of times because I just go for it, you know, like, mm -hmm. ah, okay, go. And, or I do something that I maybe should think twice about, or I maybe am tired and I should listen to that. Or maybe I haven't done enough practice runs. Stop, take a couple breaths, visualize that session being over and everybody being good. Visualize that trip being over going to the airport and being good, not being in a hospital. I try to prioritize that. That's my method mm -hmm. right now. I'm not saying it's foolproof, but I just yeah. think having a little extra mental energy placed on that being a goal is valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think, um, you know, there's definitely a lot that you can do just by like mentally seeing yourself, you know, succeed. So, um, you know, like a at a factory or something, they'll have like a big list up on the board. Like they'll check off the day, like this many days without incident. Yeah. You know, I want one of those like that. They right. do that for a reason. You know, that's not right. like, that's not a joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely, um, it, it, yeah, I, I think, you know, just mentally seeing yourself. Cause I think when you put the doubt in your mind, in your own mind, like, at least even for me, uh, you know, at the level that I ride at, it's like, if you start really thinking like, oh, I think, I feel like I'm going to eat shit on this, like that rock down there, that's the one that's going to catch me or whatever. And, and it's like, almost like you will it to happen. 
You know, you get there and you're like, bam, you freaking catch a pedal and you're like, oh shit, it's exactly what I thought. You know, yeah. it's like, did you make that happen? I don't know. You know? Yeah. And you don't always, you, you don't always get hurt on the things that you did visualize. So that's, that's why I'm visualizing the end of the session. Cause like yeah. my whole time on a bike has been all about visualizing the thing you're going to do. That is the key, you yeah. know, visualize the thing, visualize the thing. And you, and you know, thought will go through your head of it going wrong. And you're like, okay, cool. That's, a potential scenario, but now we're going to, we're going to visualize it a few more times going perfectly until we drop in and do it. A lot of times when you do that, you drop in, you do it, you land it because yeah. you took the right mental precautions. And then the injury sneaks up on something that you, you didn't prepare for. You didn't even think was yeah. possible. And so that's where yeah. it comes, where my new little trick comes into play. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've been trying to, I had a, like a real good reality check the other day on complacency. And uh, it's like, this area that I build in that like I've ridden a million times. I mean, for fuck's sakes, I built the trail. So I know like where everything is, you know, and there's this little chill spot in the middle of it where it's like, you know, your speed comes down to a quarter of what it was and you just like get through this little pinch point. And I was coming through that. I think I had one, one foot down. Cause I was just like, you know, taking a breath, chilling, you know, it's like this part doesn't fucking matter. And, and because of that, like clip the pedal. And next thing you know, I'm like, smashed into the ground over the front of the bars you know and it's like the like if i i if i was gonna bet any money on any part of that trail that i was gonna wreck on it was definitely not that spot you, you know what i mean like and uh i think when i got up i was like it was it just felt like a really good learning moment for me to like remember that complacency really is the one thing that always like it'll always get you man like every time i'm sure you probably have an injury or an accident that you can think of where, you know, you were just like, Oh yeah, I do this freaking monster jump all the time. This is no big deal. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh shit, I didn't think about that. You know, or I, I got comfortable, you know, I, I think that's so well said the way you put it, it's mountain biking's dangerous. And it, yeah. and it does kind of circle back to the beginning of this conversation where you're asking about riding like a mellow trail. Is it boring considered considering all the things you've ever done? And that's, that's where complacency will get you right there. Like, wait, wait a minute. So we're going to, we're going to tell ourselves a story that mountain biking on this trail is dangerous for everybody, but us right now, but you know, like, yeah. Oh, cause you've done this and that. No, no, no. Mountain biking is gnarly. No matter what trail you're on, there's things that can happen. And that's why we love it. It gets us into that, into that hyper-focused mode where everything is in the moment. And the reason why you're able to get your brain into that, that that realm is because you know if you daydream or you lose focus is when your pedal catches on that rock like you're saying and yeah. and it is exciting we are like sick little freaks where we do like to like risk our own safety in pursuit of like you know gambling and and having fun it is a gamble anytime you go down a trail but but we do because we love that reward of finishing and like sharing that experience with your friends or accomplishing something that you hadn't done before. And it, at the end of the day, it is always worth it. And as soon as it's not, then, then you're not going to be doing it. But I think part of us does kind of love the little bit of fear we have about what could potentially happen and just be like, all right, let's here, let's go. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of like, um, people that enjoy mountain biking, regardless of the skill set, like, and where they're at in their, like their, their level of how, how they ride. I think that everybody that's into mountain biking, it they all have some 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 
level of the screw being loose and enjoying like that danger aspect you know yeah. it's like otherwise you'd be a road biker right you know I mean? <laughs> like road like, bikes are scary though man you gotta worry about those cars i rode gravel for the first time the other day and i was like all right i can get down to this because there's there's no cars on this road you know what i mean yeah like yeah, that, I always like, say I'm more, I'm less afraid of like bears and mountain lions than I am of like a teenager or at this point, an adult with a cell phone, you know, Yeah. <laughs> like on the road. It's like, dude, I, I don't really feel like I'd like to be run over by a car. That doesn't seem like a good idea. And the likelihood of that versus like a bear eating me, I feel like way more chance I'm gonna get hit by a car. You know? I, I would agree with you on that. Also, like people getting into mountain biking now it is less dangerous than it was before because the bikes are that much better. You know, yeah. long stems, steep head angles, like loops connecting your feet to your pedals. Like yeah. that is a suicide mission, man. And I think that's how, how old are you? Uh, I will be 38 next month. I am 37. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So you were riding that stuff back in like the, the late nineties. Then that was kind of, kind of janky then. Yeah, for sure. I will. I mean, like I have, all but dedicated my life to this silly sport of mountain biking at this point, you know, but there was a yeah. time when I was a young kid with a BMX bike, looking at my neighbor up the street with his mountain bike being like, Ugh, what is yeah. that? You know? And like yeah. the mountain bikes going by, everybody was wearing spandex and I'm like, Ugh. and like, they're all leaned over. It's like, well, how are you going to get rat on that? You know? Yeah. And so like that, that's something that's changed. It's changed because it, it, it has made it safer and it's made it, you know, just look more fun. Yeah. And, and I think like probably, you know, you have to go like, we're talking about the danger of mountain biking at any level. Well, even just to ride something at Phil's trail was exponentially more dangerous when the bikes were like that. So yeah. the people who are going to be into it are, are like, it's, it funnels down into a different category, you know, like they're either yeah. really into fitness. Like when I first got into mountain biking, it was like, all right, it's either, um, like spandex geeks or dirt bags. Those were the stereotypes that you fall into, you know? And it's like, well, yeah. free riders, you guys, we were dirt bags. But now in the middle, it's just like normal people who, you know, there isn't another phrase quite like um, the one that goes, oh yeah, it's just like riding a bike. You know, like people don't say that about other things. You know, like, oh, it's just like right. eating an ice cream cone. Like they yeah. say it because everybody, that's a rite of passage that everybody gets excited about at some point in their life when they learn how to ride a bike with all the training wheels on. So it's like, it's yeah. like a human rite of passage. It's part of our culture around the world now. And now the fact that bikes are good enough to where everybody can hop on them and do something really exhilarating on it with less risk because the bikes are more capable. That's the yeah. best thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, depending on your stance, I mean, like with the e-bikes then it's like even, even more like it's opening even it for even more people. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I have two e-bikes. I love e-bikes. The only time I ever like have anything bad to say about e-bikes is when I love my current trail bike so much that I just don't want to go on an e-bike ride because I've got yeah. this like really good trail bike that I would rather go ride. And yeah. I think e-bikes are slowly getting there as well. Where like I'm a big fan of the light assist e-bikes, where they feel a little bit more like the mountain bike experience. So I'm a fan mm -hmm. of them myself for riding them. Still, most of the time, I'd rather just go ride my regular trail bike. But I'm an even bigger fan of them for getting people on bikes. My dad has always been into 
motorcycles and um, water skiing. Those are his two favorite hobbies. He still does both of them to this day. And he's 70. And uh, a few years ago, my brother and I split an e-bike for him. And he rides mountain bikes now more than he rides motorcycles and more than he water skis. And th that right there is enough. Like, even if I didn't like the feel of e-bikes, I would be like, well, they got my dad on a mountain bike. So like, they're all good in my book. And you know, everybody awesome. you talk to has a story like that from a family or family member or a friend. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, whenever they first came out to watch mountain bikers who have like spent so much time being like, hey, include us in your trails. Then like a new version of mountain bikers come out and they're like, no, you can't be here. You know, it's kind of weird. Yeah. For sure. I like, I, I think it's going to, it's going to level out at some point, you know, they, the line is getting blurrier and blurrier by the minute on what actually is an e-bike. How do you even police it? How do you police it? You go around and you'd be like, excuse me, come over here. Let me analyze yeah. your bike. You know, like at some point the old uh, verbiage in the rule books is going to get updated because these things didn't exist when a lot of those rules were written. And yeah. They don't tear up the trails more than regular bikes. I think we're good. I think it's just going to take a little yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. I think it, I think I, I kind of look at it like like snowboarding was to skiing, where it's like originally none of the the resorts would allow anybody in there, and the snowboarders were like these dirt bags, or like they had this like this like you know the the skiers had this bad idea like bad idea about them and over time it ended up becoming like more popular than skiing and i think that's probably what's going to happen with mountain biking whether or not like us like older analog riders are like dude it'll never die you know like i think it's just going to be like th that's going to be the thing that's kind of like even in your in like the slope style let's just say like where it's like oh you can get more speed you can do more to get like you know maybe this thing's not as nimble right now but they're going to get there. They're going to get there where they weigh just as much as like the bikes that we're riding that are analog now. And at that point, it's just going to be something that pushes the sport even farther. You For know? sure. That's what, that's what I think we're in a stage with the acceptance of e-bikes right now where it's going to look sick, silly looking back. Yeah, the idea of yeah. resorts not selling lift tickets to people because they only had one plank that their two feet were connected to. That seems pretty silly. Yeah. <laughs> but I think yeah. it's going to seem pretty silly when there were trails that you can ride on e-bikes, you know, in a few years. When yeah. Yeah. It's interesting think, that yeah. some spots like are like, like Sedona, for example, like you can't ride e-bikes there. And it's like, man, I don't, I, I just really feel like, like, I don't quite understand. And I'm sure there's, you know, plenty of people with opinions that you know are very passionate about them but i think at the end of the day like to me like anything that promotes people not to be on the couch i feel like we shouldn't be limiting you know right it, for sure this is a yeah. great thing you could be doing with your time <laughs> yeah it's yeah. it's also going to stimulate the economy of these places that have trails to bring so much more people to ride these trails it's just, it's silly. It's silly. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be so many different types of e-bikes as well. I mean, there already are, but like the lightweight, light assist ones, like I just like to daydream about what, what like the future will be. Because for me, when I ride an e-bike now, I'm like, all right, I want this thing to have like long travel and I just want to use it as a shuttle vessel, mm -hmm. you know? 
Yeah, Early that's kind of what I think of it as. So much about like, like there's there's certain applications for for all different types, but like if you're gonna go to a downhill area and have like a light assist bike and just self shuttle yourself on a trail, and the bike would ride pretty similar to a normal uh, mountain bike, like that's the that's the dream right there, you know? Because right. you either either like, you know, ride up or you hike your bike up. But if your bike felt like the bike that you ideally want to be riding down on and it's light enough to where it, it, uh, well, yeah, this is redundant, but it just handles right. And it shuttles. Yeah. You know, like six or seven laps on a killer downhill trail. Like I, I think that's the most exciting place for e-bikes yeah. right now. Like, yeah, you can get this, the really huge battery and go out for seven hours or something like that. But I just want to go out for the ride that I would normally go on and just yeah. get more laps to be yeah, yeah. That's, that's the dream yeah i think I, I had this conversation earlier today too about like i think that the whole i don't know if it was like a marketing push or it's like people just feel like they need to tell everybody this so that they feel better about having one but like the whole comment like it's the same workout like i feel like I don't, if that was a marketing push, I feel like it's the wrong marketing push because first of all, I it is not the it. same workout. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it is complete fucking bullshit. But on the <laughs> other hand, I think if people, um, were really just pitching, like it's a different kind of riding. And for me, like a long time, I just thought of it kind of like what you said. The only way that I wrapped my head around an e-bike was like, oh, instead of us like having to take four trucks up to this spot where we're going to shuttle and us like zipping, you know, through all these trucks, we can just go on e-bikes and do the exact same riding in the exact same amount of time. And it was like, you know, at first you kind of think that and you're like, oh, this is whatever. And then it's like you have one of those days when you're up there with the trucks and one of your friends is on an e-bike and he is actually at the other trailhead by the time you got there and unloaded your bikes and you're like what the fuck why are we yeah. doing that you know you're like this is a better mousetrap right here this is yeah, sick yeah exactly. <laughs> like, i actually don't want to be in the truck you know i want to yeah ride everybody and stinks then, like, <laughs> yeah and then the one that really got me just recently was i went out on a ride with um with some people and and my legs were like blasted from the day before, like did a big day on a regular, you know, analog day. And I ended up going out and, and we put in like 3,500 feet that, that day on these e-bikes in like steep shit, you know, where it was like, they would be like, you know, you're paying some, paying some dues to get up these hills. And we're just like bullshitting and having a conversation. I was like, dude, I could have never had this day on my analog bike and it's not because like i wasn't in good shape or something it's just like dude i destroyed my legs the day before you know and it's like yeah that all of a sudden like gave me this light bulb where i was like whoa this is like actually a training tool yeah. so instead of going on like a boring air quote you know gravel or or like road ride it's like i could still go out and ride a bunch of mountain bike and and um and then get that kind of like lower impact cardio kind of kind of and ride, you may not you know? have ridden that day huh yeah yeah possibly yeah that yeah. that as well so it's like yeah I, I think there's a lot of i mean people are coming around i mean you can see this conversation has been changing over the last year of of people and i don't know about you like i think ben their e-bikes are all okay up, up there mm, nah -uh. i can't remember yeah yeah there's a lot of trails that are illegal for e-biking for sure yeah and so yeah i'm i'm in that um I'm in that, that pocket, you know, just like, um, 
Sedona you were talking about. You know, like I'm I'm in that I'm in a place that is experiencing that strange uh, growing yeah. pain right now, where yeah. I don't think it'll be like this forever. Um, yeah. But um. Yeah, at the end of the day, it, it's it's mountain biking. You know, it's we all like. You've, we all do it for the same reason. It's healthy. It's, it's for fun. It's to get out and experience nature. I feel like if we were like, if, if e-bikes really were harming something, then it'd be like a controversial topic, but I don't even really, I don't even really sweat talking about it right now because I'm like, I don't think it's going to be like this forever. You know, like, yeah, I, I think that, that at some point it's just going to be a non-issue. Like I will say that like, if I'm going to go shoot a piece of content, uh on an e-bike on a trail that's not legal for e-bikes then i think twice i'm like well now i'm just kind of being a douche you know like yeah um i think twice about that i i don't think that it's going to be an issue forever but but it is awkward because you're like yeah. this isn't allowed and and i probably shouldn't be filming this right now and yeah. um i don't know it's nobody's saying that you can't ride a normal bike you know like e-bikes mm -hmm. aren't going to take over to the point where you can't ride a normal bike and i'm like my my friends will tell you because they get bummed sometimes that i just want to go on a normal bike ride like i am more yeah. on my regular bike than i am on my e-bike but um but i am a big fan of it and i and i hope that it's not a thing that continues much longer having trails that yeah. are legal for e-bikes yeah i agree with you i mean i'm i don't even have an e-bike right now i'm like if i go i'm like borrowing somebody else's or something like that but i i there's some aspects of like riding an analog bike that for me i don't think that i'll ever like fully switch and i would love to think that that those aspects that i that i i enjoy like that feeling of accomplishment of getting to the top of some like really like hard climb or like being way out in the back country and like being on top of this mountain and being like, I got me here, like totally on myself, you know, like th those like feelings feel really good to me. And I would hope that like in the future that like analog bikes don't die. But I think for me, like those, that like same, like sense of accomplishment kind of feeling is what like in my mind makes e-bikes. It's just different. You know, it's not, it, I don't think it'll ever be a replacement for me, you know? And I just, I enjoy that struggle. Like I'm a bigger dude. I mean, like, um, most people like they watch my content. I love bitching about climbing, but, but it's like, I love bitching about climbing, but then I do like 5,000 foot days. You, you know what I mean? So it's like, think about what's going on here. You know, like, yeah, it's not like I accidentally got there, you know? Exactly. You love it. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. just, I just love bitching about it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's part of the fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're reminding so, yourself that you got your, you got your ass off the couch to go do it. You know, right, like bitching exactly. is like a way of being like, hell yeah, yeah <laughs> this fucking yeah. sucks. Hell yeah. We're doing <laughs> right, it. <laughs> right. Misery loves company though. Right. So like, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you've been, you've been at this for, you know, since you said you're, you're a little Grom and Aptos and now you're, you know, getting closer to 40. Where do you see your career going as you get Whoa, older? bro. Whoa, bro. <laughs> I'm closer to 38. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Nah, just I'm like kidding. you were like, it's January. You're going to blink again. You're going to be like, fuck, I'm 40. <laughs> no, I know. I'm like thinking, what do I want to do for my 40th birthday? No, I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to find like the sickest left point break to go to. <laughs> yeah. 
40 years old that's like get me on a long board i'm just gonna like stand on my board for a minute and a half on a perfect left hand point break <laughs> there you go <laughs> sorry that's you had a cool. question i interrupted you no no it's all right i was just like where do you where do you like see like your career going do you see yourself doing more stuff like what you did with pink bike on like the pink bike academy or do you see yourself getting into like you know you know training kids or working with youth or like just keep freaking smashing huge jumps until you like Travis Pastrana, your whole body. Yeah. That's a great <laughs> question, isn't it? I'm like, I'm like one day at a time, but I'm, I'm definitely yeah. um, enjoying doing YouTube. I'm exploring the idea of hosting like riding vacations and, mm -hmm. and traveling with people to share mountain biking. That seems like it could be really fun. I'm, I'm still enjoying hosting live broadcasts. Um, I love those opportunities when they pop up. You mentioned Pink Bike Academy. That was really fun. Um, yeah. We had a blast with that. It was, it was such a challenge because there was a lot of, um, yeah, there's like a lot of memorization involved and stuff like that. And some of those scenes, the director was like, listen, we need authentic reactions out of these contestants. So there's no like cut, let's do this over again. So I would be pacing, like ask any of the... People on the crew who are all really awesome. There's like a really good crew. I would just like be pacing, memorizing like the way this is going to go and that's going to go. And they'd be like, you ready? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be, I'll be ready, you know? And so like, I don't know. I love challenges like that. Like I think broadcasting is a challenge because it's live and it's a performance. And I love the pressure of that. And I love that like red light is on time to do it type of feeling yeah yeah i thought you did a really great job honestly like like i i'm not a person that really follows racing that much so i didn't really know who you were much as a, of a, a person other than like oh i've heard that name a bunch of times you know and seeing you on the show like i i thought it was really like you did a good job good job man so thanks man yeah i embraced the challenge like with open arms and i was like really happy with uh the experience like we had a really good time and I think mm -hmm. Amanda told you when you had her on that it was filmed in a really tight window as well. Yeah, she said something... it was like really like a week or two or something yeah. like that. You got her there and that was it. Which was something that was really challenging for the contestants, but also really challenging for just anybody involved, no matter what their role. You know, production was grinding. Um, mechanics were grinding. Contestants, the hosts, we're all like the judges. We're all just pretty much like pinned we weren't getting that much sleep because sometimes we would start at sunrise and we'd end at like 10 PM and then, you know, a little bit of sleep and Katie and I, the, who I was co-hosting with, we would be, we'd be given a script and then we'd readjust them, make them feel more natural for us to interact and stuff. So when we had a little break, we'd be sitting down with our laptops and scripting and stuff like that, what we were going to say. That was kind of fun. I was hopping on an airplane, whatever it was last week, I guess. And I saw the little um, on your community post that you that you had Amanda on there. So then I popped in uh -huh. and said, "What well, was up?" That was cool. You put it on the screen there. But yeah. um, but yeah, it was it was cool to hear what she had to say about her experience on it, and I had a blast doing it. And yeah, to answer your question, any more stuff like that? I love the challenge. I love hosting things, and so um, yeah, I'll be doing more of that as they as they come around for sure. Yeah. Right on, man. You mentioned doing YouTube and that's um actually what caused me to reach out to you was I bumped into that video of, I guess we're a band now. And um, I thought it was really cool. I, I actually wrote this in the show notes because when you watch like, like people know you 
let's just say like the public knows you as this mountain biker, you know, and this like, you know, this, this, this person who's like career really shines of, of who they are, but there's like so much more of a person behind that. And like, it's like, Hey, you're, you're a musician. Like you play guitar pretty good. And you guys like decide to like make this band and, and like make some music. And it just really showed a side of like, of you that like, I'm sure that most of the world like has no idea of who, who that is, you know? I think everybody has those things that, that are under the surface that make them who they are. You know, we're, mm -hmm. I was on a trip with a close friend the other day and we were just like watching this local guy from afar. And we're like, I want to watch a documentary on that guy. Like that guy's interesting. And we were like mm -hmm. talking about, you know, like that would be fun to do a documentary series where you just like start learning about somebody. And if they're interesting, then you pursue it and finish it. And if they're not, then you're like, my buddy was like, no, everybody is interested. Everybody has a story. There's more yeah. under the surface with anybody that you could walk by on the street. And so that's cool that that was the impression you got from that video because um, I don't know, with mountain biking, we we talk about the same things so much and there's like mm -hmm. so many other things going on and nobody only thinks about mountain biking all day. You know, everybody has yeah, yeah. other interests and um, and we all live on a finite timeline. So I feel like it's super important to do the things that you tell yourself you have to do someday. And I've found myself telling my, I've found myself telling myself, that sounds weird. Uh, my whole <laughs> life that like someday I'm going to make music. I'm going to be in a band that looks like the most fun thing in the world. I got to know what that feels like, you know? And, mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, we just made that video and we like did that project and it was just because we wanted to, and just because we wanted to experience it and see what it felt like. And it was a blast, like being like, I guess I was just talking about how I like those hosting gigs because they're challenging and you have to memorize things and you have to do it in front of people and there's pressure mm -hmm. on. And that's why I like live broadcasts as well. And that's kind of where I'm at with music as well. It's like that activity of learning songs with your friends is enjoyable on its own, even if you don't go yeah. perform them in front of people. But when you do go perform them in front of people, it reminds me of when I used to ride contests. It reminds me of when, uh, you know, a, an important live broadcast is about to start, like Red Bull Rampage. It's that it's that feeling of like, all right, I am where I want to be. This matters. I'm excited. And if I mess it up, there's only one chance, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. the music thing is is really exciting. Doing that video was really fun. And, and um, yeah, I want to do more I think of that. I think there's some parallels between like music and mountain bikers, like, like in the sense of like, when you're playing music with your friends, like the whole camaraderie part of it is like really what makes it fun. It's kind of like going riding, you know, it's like you really enjoy riding, but you also like really enjoy like hanging out with all your buddies. Right. You know? And For so sure. like, I think it's, it's similar that way, but just like biking and just like music, it's like, you're also doing it for yourself. Like you're learning how to play, put all that time into getting good at the guitar so that you can do that because you enjoy that for you. Same as like riding, like going out and putting in big climbing days so you can be stronger on your bike, you know, like, or whatever it is. So I, I think it's like a, it's a similar, it, they're very, very similar, you know? <laughs> so similar. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. You, yeah. You're, you get it. You're hitting the nail on the head. It, it's all those things, you know? You can go for a ride by yourself and have fun. It's going to be more fun if it's a group ride. You're riding with friends, yeah. you know? You yeah. can sit in your yeah. room and play guitar um, by yourself, and it's going to be fun. 
but it's way more fun if everybody's got their part and you're all trying to make it top to bottom on the song without right. slipping a pedal or blowing a berm. It's right, uh, right. it's that shared experience. It's super fun. And it's an outlet for creativity as well. You know, like for the majority of my bike career, you, you know, when I was like, you know, really competing in contests and really making video parts that are going in bike DVDs, the the filming is where the creativity exists you know contest runs you have a little bit of room for creativity but you're competing and you're 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 it's a sporting event um but videos are where you let to you get to do something that that somebody else isn't doing and so that's how sitting at home and writing a song is you know you're you're kind of just crafting this thing and it can go wherever you want it to go and then the ultimate payoff to that is is then performing that thing with your friends and uh yeah it's like it's 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 like you said it's very similar yeah but it's yeah, safer <laughs> right right so when um you started your youtube channel i would imagine that you probably you know at that point you've you've been pretty far into your career you expected it to probably be pretty easy i would imagine that it's been a little bit more challenging than you expected what's that journey been like for you i don't think i thought it was going to be easy um I, I i probably thought a few times like wow i should have done this sooner but i think it seemed impossible more than anything to me i'm like i'm late to the game i posted my first video on youtube in 2006 but i wasn't like doing youtube youtube changed mm -hmm. so much from then from that point 2006 until 2019 when i started like focusing on it and and i definitely wasn't like oh this is going to be easy bring it on i i was like i'm late to the game and hopefully there's a place for me here and as with anything i've ever pursued in my life if if i get stressed out about it i go like all right re like realign the compass like what is like try to have some fun with this and so mm -hmm. i've always tried to have some fun with YouTube and wherever I'm at right now, it's like right under 30,000 subscribers. It's not a huge channel, but the people on there who watch the videos are all so cool. Like, I think that's, yeah. that's what I've discovered. That's the way everybody feels about YouTube. Who does it is they're like, this is a cool place. Like people seek out this content to watch it. So they're not like, they're not pissed at you if it isn't their favorite thing they've ever watched. They don't have to watch it, but when people yeah. do decide to watch it, that is cool. And I feel like if I'm making something that I enjoy making, then there's a chance somebody out there will enjoy watching it. And sometimes a lot of people watch, sometimes a few people watch, but there's a, there's a quality of the viewer who does decide to watch and they get it. Like whatever mm -hmm. it is that, inspired me to make something the people who decided to watch it they get it and that means a lot and i haven't done any like i don't know any like sneaky little moves you can do to grow your youtube channel i've just posted videos i haven't like put ads behind any or like paid to promote any videos or whatever and so it's just been um natural growth the past whatever 2019 to now three and a half years and i want to do a whole lot more of it and so hopefully that's another answer to your question is what are you going to do more of? Like hopefully more YouTube. Yeah. What do you enjoy about it? Well, there's a lot of work for sure. As you know, as anybody who um, does YouTube knows, but I like making things. Like if I don't have something to make, I'm kind of like lost. 
I need to make yeah. something, you know? And yeah. for the majority of my career, there was always opportunities to go film a video part and then media, you know, media changed. Like it went to YouTube. It didn't, it didn't continue all along the path of like feature mountain bike films as, as it was in the past, you know, that was a pretty common thing. And it obviously like, yeah, like I'm going to get older. Like if those feature films were still going, I, I probably wouldn't be doing a segment the level that I was risking to create those segments back in neural disorder. And, you know, the, the anthill films, the collective films and all the other films. Um, I was younger, so I was risking a whole lot more, but YouTube is a nice place to have an avenue to still make things. And, uh, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more relatable of a mountain biker now than I was when I was a 22 year old or 24 year old trying to front flip Superman or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, every once in a while I'll still try one of those tricks on a safe jump just to see if I can still do it. But you can, you can make content on YouTube without risking a hospital visit every single time. I still end up in the hospital sometimes, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I like making things, you know, you get deep in the editing cave and you're like, ah, but then once you finish and you watch it through, you're like, all right, that was worth it. That was fun. And yeah. Yeah. I like it. What do you think about like, um, I know there's in some parts of the industry, there's this weird, like, Oh, YouTubers are taking money from the sport or, or something like that, where it's like, they're, 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 you know, taking all this marketing money out of, out of pro cycling or, or how, like, what do you, do you think, how, how, what's your, what's your thought process on that? Oh, that issue is squashed now because nobody's getting any money. <laughs> <laughs> That's that, you know, yeah, it's like, that. well, the influencers aren't getting paid. The races aren't getting paid. The free riders <laughs> aren't getting paid. I'm exaggerating, but it's, it's a tough time out there to, you know, the marketing budgets are totally slashed. And, uh, are you going to, people who say that, are they going to sit there and say that like, normal mountain biker doesn't bring any value to the brands that he's partnered with. Like right. he does, you know, like that dude's funny. He's super cool. Yeah. He's a great rider and he gets a lot of eyeballs. I think there's, there's jealousy sometimes, you know, not in every instance when it comes to this particular topic, but people mm. are jealous. Like, Oh, that's working for them. Mm, I'm yeah. not okay with it. You know, me yeah. sponsor me, you know, it's like, yeah. at a certain point, no matter how long you've been around the industry, you have to reinvent yourself if you realize you're not bringing the same value. Okay, well, if I'm yeah. not bringing value, then I got to figure out a way to bring value because, yeah. you know, marketing budgets are dry right now, but when but when they are prevalent and more available, well, there's got to be a return on investment. What are you doing to to convert your content into you know, some website traffic to that sponsor mm -hmm. that's that's paying you money to promote their brands. Like when there yeah. are marketing budgets and the marketing budgets budgets are better, they got to go somewhere. And so yeah. if you don't fit in to a, you know, uh, tangible return on investment or at least a chance of a tangible return on investment, then then maybe the money's going to go elsewhere. And And at the end of the day, whoever is in charge of the marketing decisions at any given company, sometimes it's just that person's decision, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. they might just be down with something else. And, and that, that might push them the money some somewhere else. Like if you're in the mountain bike industry to get rich, you know, as like a content creator or a racer or a free rider, like there's way other ways to get rich in this world. 
and yeah, uh, yeah. you pursued mountain biking because you loved it. And if you start losing touch with that, then, you know, it is time to get a different job and hopefully fix your relationship with mountain biking, you know, patch it up and just do it for fun. But it is a weird place to be, to be like grumpy, you know, like they don't pay me for having fun. Darn. You yeah, know? yeah. 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 I personally feel like, um, that the the companies that start doing this are the ones that are going to like really stand out. And this is, I, I strongly feel that if you have a top level athlete and you're expecting them to be a content creator as well, I think it's bullshit. I think it's oh, like yeah. complete, complete bullshit. And I see so many companies are doing that, you know, in, in the industry where it's like, you're supposed to be, you know, a uh, uh, let's just call you a, a top 10 number athlete. And then you're supposed to be like feeding all this social media stuff and making content. And dude, I know how much work it takes to run my bullshit channels. You know what I mean? Compared to like do that and be like, like some of the best in the world. That's ridiculous. And so I think the companies that start to like, like bring on riders and are like, Hey, we're going to help your, your social media. We're going to use, you know, you be good and we're going to help build that for you. Like as, as their part, because, and, and I think when, when you start seeing that switch, that's when it's really, then, then they're going to actually be working together, you know? And, and I don't know, what do, what do you think about what I'm saying? I would say that the real biggest bummer about all of this conversation when it comes to dry marketing budgets in the mountain bike industry is the athletes who are top tier in their competitive disciplines, you know, competing isn't enough. That that's like, you know, how hard racers train and you know how hard slope style athletes train and, and how much risk rampage athletes put on the line. And they're somehow also supposed to be like, uh, marketing wizards and and great with cameras and great with Adobe Premiere and like having yeah. good thumbnails and stuff like that. That's too much. That's too many job descriptions. And yeah. as somebody who commentates on the Crankworks World Tour, you know we have so many disciplines. So everything from from racers to free riders, and it's everything they can do to just be ready for that first competition after a long off season. But you know, a lot of that energy they're torn. They're trying to figure out like I should be training right now, but also I, I haven't done a post today, you know, and that's a bummer. That's the time we're living in right now. And it's a real challenge because at the end of the day, like those are, those are two separate categories that have been smashed together. You know, mm -hmm. people who are just purely content creators are expected to be like world-class athletes and people who are world-class athletes are expected to be top-notch content creators. And maybe it's one of those things. I don't know what the future is going to hold. Maybe it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, eventually e-bikes are going to be legal on every, every trail. And, mm -hmm. oh yeah, maybe at some point, you know, brands will hire a videographer and a photographer to go get all the month's content from their top racers that are sponsored. So they have those assets and the, and the racer can focus on training for racing because that is a full-time job yeah. um hopefully like what you're saying is the companies help create the content and the athletes are just like yep i'm here for you what do you need come shoot me cool yeah. i'm gonna get back to training that would be ideal yeah. because they need to do that to be able to be not only like ready to like 
compete well and have good results, but also to stay safe. If they're spending more time in front of their laptop than they are training, and then they go take to a contest, whether that's a race or a slope style run, that's sketch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were talking about the, the pink bike Academy earlier and it seemed like on the last season that they definitely were trying to pull a lot more of that social media kind of aspect in. And it's like, on one hand, like I understand it. And also it like made for fun part of the show, but it, it really made me like think about, is this really the, the direction that we should be pushing people? Because like I, like I said, I mean, I know how much work it takes to be successful and it's not, it, it is a full-time job on its own, even like running like a, a, a smaller channel, you know? And, and I mean, yeah, you get what I'm saying. So for sure. I would say that was a bit of a surprise for me as well. Uh, I think that if pink bike Academy is going to hold a reality show, for racers, they should hold a reality show for racers. If they're going to hold yeah. a reality show for free riders and content creators, that's a great show. But yeah, yeah, do the, that one too. You yeah. know, get get normal out there and everybody else that's you know like get make them do stupid shit and like we'll all laugh. You know, you can do them for all different things. Like this one's yeah. about enduro racing. This one's yeah. about free riding. This one's about content creation. Like yeah. do them all. Um, yeah. That's what I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think like I remember when I was watching it, there was something similar that they did on outside that it was like it would be cool just to see like 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 almost like the biggest loser kind of like premise of like a, a mountain biking kind of pink bike academy kind of thing where it's like how much can these people like advance their skill set in the two weeks that they're there or like, you know what I mean? Like you get these people that are like pretty, pretty new or like you know, intermediate kind of riders and like, see where that goes. Like, I think that would be really like entertaining content. And it's just like, like, People it doesn't have to, watch to that, be, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be like, you know, some, some guy like, you know, just hitting this, you know, massive crazy jump or like going through this, you know, insane technical stuff like at the end of the day what you can see by youtube is that people actually just relate with people you know and, and the cool stuff is cool to see too like like obviously i mean it 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 is like how can you not appreciate watching somebody do like some of the things that you've done in your career like it's amazing to see but um i think that you know as far as content goes there's a lot of opportunity out there oh yeah you know? yeah for sure i i think uh yeah, as far as like a competition is concerned like that, like they've only just like scratched the surface of what you could potentially do with that, with that concept. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. you could do a lot of really cool stuff um, with a concept like that. And I guess with how much media has changed, there's, there's a home for pretty much any good idea you can think of, you know, there's an audience, right. there's an audience for it. As long as you execute it in a way that's, that that's done well. Um, just upload it and it's, it's going to find an audience, which is cool. And um, I guess that's the motivator, you know, like there's all that, like that, that funny conversation about uh, what was it? Like the bumbling uh, controversy. Yeah. <laughs> Bumble saying, too, many, too many people, <laughs> but people are watching it, man. There's, there's an audience for, for, for every video that's put up. And like, the thing that's funny is like, if it's a small YouTube channel and it's a mountain biker who's, you know, just getting into it and they want to share their experience or whatever. And the video only gets 500 views. Like, Oh, well, that's, 
that's nothing. Like picture a room of 500 people. Like those yeah, 500 people, people found entertainment and watching that person ride that trail. That's a lot of people. Like if you were given yeah. a microphone to stand up on a stage in front of 500 people, you wouldn't be looking at that number being like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's even like what you said earlier. You said that your channel is a small channel at like 30,000. And realistically, if you look at numbers from YouTube and don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that's like within the top 10, maybe even the top 5% of channels. Sick. You know? Yeah, because that like I saw something the other day. I think it was like if you're at a hundred k, you're in like the top like like two percent or point something like that. It's like it's like such a small number. Yeah. Once you're you're growing out of like the number of channels that are really out there. So I mean, it's so easy for us to like fixate on like our number compared to other people's numbers, but it's just like what you said. Like thirty thousand people is like that's like a a freaking stadium full of yeah. people like yeah, that's right. a shit ton of people man you know what i mean so, exactly yeah. and it's like yeah. yeah maybe not all of them watch every video but that's like uh my friend and i were talking about this when it comes to supercross as well whatever that stadium holds thirty thousand people or whatever like uh not all of them are paying attention when something happened you know that's the right. same thing yeah. it's like they all have access to it if they happen to be looking at that part of the track you know yeah like five thousand like, of them are getting a beer and another like 2000 are taking a league so like, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> now i just yeah. have fun with youtube and i have like so many ideas that i want to do and usually when i have an idea that i'm like really fired up on and i do it 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 like it works you know and like if i if i don't have a plan sometimes that works as well because it's just natural and it's just like fly on the wall but i have some ideas that i'm like really stoked about and i'm hoping i get an opportunity to do them this year, staying healthy is key, you know, mm -hmm. staying healthy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stay healthy yeah. so I can make these videos I want to make. And, uh, and so did you um, edit that yeah. whole thing yourself and like, like all that, like filming stuff, or did you have any kind of crew on that? The video band or? video? Yeah. That's Doug, Doug, who's drumming. Uh -huh. Doug edited that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, and, man. And we had like a real loose idea of what we wanted to do with it. And it's kind of like, starts with my idea you know so i'm like all right doug do you have enough footage he's like mm -hmm. yeah and i'm like you can do whatever you want with it you know like however it works but like here's what i was thinking you know and then uh -huh. after a while i think he was kind of like what do i do with all this and so i'm like all right show me the rough and he showed me the rough and i'm like okay i think we need like an interview to like tie this all together you know yeah, yeah. explain what's going on here so we like we just collaborated with like the structure of how it was going to work but he had full creative freedom to just like that's kind of a nightmare to edit that one. That was months and months. It's a lot of, of footage, man. It's a lot of yeah. footage to go through. Yeah. He did a he did a great job. And uh, yeah, stoked. I thought it was pretty rad. You guys were at like I think TDS when you were recording some of it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we recorded. Cool. We like we played in the parking lot at TDS, which was fun. But that was kind of like the reason for doing a video at TDS was like, all right, well, we need like a properly recorded track to make this video. And so uh -huh. Doug came into Bend early because he lives up in Bellingham and we recorded his parts. Dusty and I recorded our parts and then we met up with Josh at TDS and I brought the recording equipment and we just recorded his bass part in his toy hauler. So then yeah. we had a track and then I uh, mixed the track, got it to Doug and then we put our heads together on how, like how the template of the video would go and then it kind of ends with like a mashup to the whole song. Uh-huh. Yeah, that that was it was super fun to watch. And like I um TDS is in my 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 backyard basically, but I never Oh yeah, where where do you live? 
I'm in Sacramento, so. But every time right that they're on. like doing building, or even whenever like the the event happens, it's like the same time of year that I'm like knee deep into building, and I'm like, yeah, I really want to go over there and do that, but I actually want to finish this thing that I'm working on, and sure. it just never works out. I'm like, I'm trying to mentally prepare myself to actually go this year and go check it out because it seems like such a fun event, and everybody that I've talked to, like they really love being up there and. It's the, the best really time good, ever, really. man. Yeah, it is so much fun. The riding is amazing. That event is what had me really fall in love with e-bikes because yeah, we all race the e-bike category when we do that one. It's 11 stages and it's over two days. So you do six stages day one, five stages day two, and your e-bike is just your shuttle vessel and you're just like shooting the breeze with, with everybody else the whole climb up. And, you know, the practice day is a blast. And, yeah, we played the campground last year. And then Ron just commented on one of my videos from the music project. And is like, you guys are playing on the big stage this year. So tighten it up. Get ready. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if we can get everybody down to show up to TDS again this year, then we'll do that again. But a camping weekend where you're, you're doing 11 downhill races and uh, hanging out by the fire, it's, it rules. After my yeah, first year yeah. doing it, I was like, all right, I never want to miss this. So yeah. Good. Yeah. I feel like I feel like it's gonna be one of those situations when I finally go. I'm gonna be like, dude, seriously? Like, why did you wait this long? Especially so, if it's right in your backyard, too. It's yeah, so it's like right there, too. You I saw, I want to say, I think, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't your set list have a bunch of Nirvana in it? Yeah, we did we did two Nirvana covers, the two shows that we did. And yeah. um that was, I'm like, I'm a big Nirvana fan. I, I love a lot of bands, but that one I, I also just really love. And yeah, uh, I'm like, how fun would it be, you know, to play a couple Nirvana songs? And then About a Girl is just such a simple song. You know, yeah. Kurt Cobain wrote that song after listening to a Beatles album on repeat for like four hours straight. And I'm a huge Beatles fan. So there's something about that song that I just really like. And then... Yeah. We were trying to fill out more in the set list. And I was thinking, you know, for a group of people, how fun would it be to play lithium? Because the core, like, if you can remember the word, yeah, then you have the whole chorus. Yeah, and right. So that, one, like, yeah. that one gets people going, too. So, like, everybody got got rowdy when we played that. And um, it was just fun to do, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also, like you, I'm really, Nirvana is probably my my favorite band and uh i think it's very similar to the beatles because it's all like super simple licks but like really good rhythm and like emotion and i think that's the thing that i really like about cobain is that because of the way he sang there's so many different ways that so many different lyrics that people hear and the lyrics that a lot of people hear are like the ones that mean something to them you yeah. know and, and and it's like it's like it's like interesting in a way that he can like reach so many more people by the way that he sang that people actually didn't know what he was saying. You know, it's abstract enough to where it is very much open for interpretation. You, you like listen to interviews with any lyricist and they all love for their songs to be interpreted in different ways by the audience. And a lot of songwriters shy away from explaining what their motivation was. And I think he was, in particular a master of that you know it's it's like an abstract piece of 
you know, sculpts is abstract sculpture or something, you know, or, yeah. you know, an abstract painting, people could stare at it and have different things happen. These words are just like very strange, but like the sound of them works, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the sound would come first for him when he was writing songs of the way these words sounded together. And then, you know, the meaning of course, probably had, he had a vision for them in his own mind, but like you say, people just build their own story with them, even if they're hearing the wrong words too, you know? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I went down the like YouTube rabbit hole a couple of weeks ago with like some interviews with, um, Nolastek and, and, uh, Nolasek, sorry. And, uh, and Dave Grohl talking about, you know, their time in Nirvana. And now that so much time's gone by, they, they, you know, they're starting to talk about things a little bit more than, than whenever it was uh, a little more fresh. And it was just like, it was really fun for me to hear, you know, and like listen to these, these, um, these interviews. And it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier, where, you know, you start to hear them talk about each other as like, like we know them as Nirvana as this band, but they like know each other as friends, you know, it's like, sure. Friends that just so happen to be Nirvana, and and it's and it's interesting when you get to like step inside of that 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 space for a little bit, you know. For sure, it blew up into something so huge, but it was just like it was just some dudes playing music, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How do your um how do your parents feel about having like two children that are are pretty um pretty prominent in the in the cycling world? Uh, it, their support was awesome when we were kids. We were coming yeah. home bleeding a lot, and and you know they never <laughs> took our bikes away, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they let us build a jump into the swimming pool in the backyard. That's where we learned yeah. all of our tricks. So like, yeah, but you didn't need want, an airbag. Yeah, you got a, a swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> like that's proof right there that they were supportive. And um, yeah, it's. It's crazy that we're still doing it. You know, like we've both got kids now. My daughters are mm-hmm. 10 and 7. My brother's son is 6 months old in uh in a couple weeks. And um yeah, what a trip, man. It's not something that a lot of parents would would back their kids doing cuz it doesn't seem like it's going to lead anywhere and um yeah. and we've been able to f- figure it out how to like stay as healthy as as we can manage and then, you know, try to like navigate it as a career as well, which is, you know, pretty volatile. And um, somehow we've done all right with it and we couldn't have done anywhere close to all right with it. If it weren't for our parents being down with us, like just pursuing it, which is like, as a parent now, I'm like, that's crazy. They let us pursue this. That's wild. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. Like how does it shape how you're raising your own, own children then? My daughters tell me that I'm too protective. (laughs) Like when it comes to the dangerous things that they're doing, I'm like, Oh, that might happen. Hey, you should put the pillow right there. Like, Hey, (laughs) this is time for the full face. And they're like, dad, stop. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I, I just like, I've seen a lot of people get hurt. I've like seen so many crashes that I like look at a situation and I'm like, that can happen. That can happen. That can happen. And then I'm like, the kids gotta be kids. Last night they were like you night riding. It was getting pretty dark and it was time for them to come in for dinner. And they were sledding on my jumps cause they're covered in snow. And mm-hmm. they're like whizzing by trees and 
going off of like setup jumps to flat and just getting bucked around. They got three kids on a sled and stuff. And I'm like, they're having a blast. This is sketchy, but like, this is exactly yeah. what they should be doing. So I'm not going to stop yeah. it. Yeah. No, that stuff's important, man. And like I said, like anything that keeps people off the couch is so important, especially in today's world with young kids. It's like, man, it, that all that stuff is made to like keep you stuck to it, whether it's like social media or video games or like even the way that like television shows come out on Netflix. Like when we were kids, like if you watched whatever your favorite show was on Tuesday night, you still had to wait a week for the damn yeah. next one to come on. And now yeah. it's like, Hey, we'll give them all to you right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, yeah. It's and, like, uh, instead of getting a half an hour and then waiting a week, you could go eight hours now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and now that we know that you will sit there for eight hours, we're going to give you some other options too when you're done. Yeah. You know, and and so it's like, um, I think that stuff's really important for for kids. Like my my kids are um, both out of the house now, and uh, but I remember when my son was younger, and it would be like, "Hey, um, you want to go mountain bike?" And he'd be like, "Nah, I'm gonna like do this, like whatever instead." And I'd be like, uh, "That actually wasn't a question." Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He'd be like, all right, you know, but then he would like go out and he'd be like, man, this is really fun. You know, I had a great time today. And it's like, um, that like, as a parent, you have to like push kids nowadays, like in a way where like, I feel like when I was younger, it was like, they had to try to keep us in if we wanted to like, you know what I mean? Like, sure. otherwise they'd be like, I don't even know where they are. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm lucky because my kids like, don't really just sit and, and do pointless things. Like they're pretty go, 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 which is awesome. But I think that we're, we're here to enjoy this planet because it's a pretty cool one and we're here to make things. So mm -hmm. it's like to just stare at something for a while, unless you're, you know, getting inspired and it's going to lead you to go do something or make something, then it's kind of a waste of time. Like, don't get me wrong. Like that's an extreme way of, of saying it. Like I'll sit down and watch, you know, the Mandalorian with them and we'll have a blast and stuff like that, you know, but like, I think, I think it's important to do things and make things. And uh, yeah. So mountain biking and, and making music, you know, that's, those are my two ways of like getting outside, enjoying the planet and then creating something. And my kids are finding their ways to enjoy the planet and the things that they want to create. You know, they're really loving skiing right now. My oldest learned last year, my youngest is going to learn this year. And they both love gymnastics and their new thing is aerial silk where they do all these crazy tricks from the sheet hanging from the ceiling. Oh, and, wow, okay. and that's cool. And they both love biking and, you know, they'll sit down with a piece of paper and scribble out something, make something. And they, they both have access to all these instruments and they have their own instruments and they love making noise with it and stuff like that. And it's like, I don't know, there's so many creative things you can do with your downtime. If you are trapped inside um, it's nice to avoid just the mindless stuff where nothing is being yielded from it other than, yeah. you know, time going away. Yeah. I think, you know, like some of that stuff is, is, you know, the way that you're born. And I think some of the stuff is like learned, you know, but I, I definitely, I mean, I, I have plenty of times when I just sit down on the couch and, and watch whatever, but I noticed like most of the time when I'm just left to my own, like I'm continually like, trying to learn something or trying to make something like what you said, where yeah. it's like, 
I'm like, oh, I'm learning how to like, I bought a 3D printer a couple of years ago. And it's like, I'm always like, oh, I want to make this or, oh, I want to like learn how to do this. Or it's like, I don't know, like during like, like COVID, I, it was like, I've always wondered how to do a Rubik's cube. I want to learn how yeah. to do that. You know, and it's like, like, it's like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm like 46 years old. I'm like, yeah. I'm sitting on the, in the, on the couch, like, you know, reading posts by, by 11 year olds. Like, Oh, that's how he did that. Okay. You know, like, I've tried that as well. And those 11 year olds are way smarter than me, man. I'm like, I I'm lost already. I, I can't do a Rubik's cube. Where is my life? I got it down to like 30 seconds. That's where, where you I'm got at. it now. Sick. Yeah. 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 Definitely. At one point I did it for a while. Like, do you ever watch that guy on YouTube? Mike Boyd. He like just learned shit. No. Yeah. Check it out sometime. It, it, he like, it's like, Oh, I want to learn how to like rip a telephone book book in half, or I want to learn how to like make that noise that like makes glass shatter or whatever. Like, so he just, that's his, that's his whole shtick. And one of them was he wanted to learn how to do the Rubik's cube in under like two minutes. So that's like what originally got me like going. I was like, you know what? That dude did it. And all oh, and the way that he does it on his channel is like, he only times like when he's actually practicing. So it's like, like, even though it could have took him like two months, it's like, oh, but that was like eight hours. So it really right. only took him eight hours to do it. And then it's like, when you see it like that, you're like, oh man, like that's really not that much time, you know? So For sure. it inspired me. And, and I, at one point learned it. And then I was like, I got this. So it was like sitting on the shelf behind me. And one night me and my buddies are out here drinking beers and, and, uh, and then it's like, oh, you can do that. And I was like, yeah, I picked it up. And I was like, uh, no, I can't. Uh, do you so, had it. And then you lost yeah, it. Just lost it, dude. Totally, <laughs> totally lost it. And then like that just like drilled on me for like probably a year. And then one day I was like, you know what? I'm I'm getting it back and I'm not letting it go this time. And then that's kind of that's where I'm at now. That's but, funny. That's like that's how our brains work. I think that's how uh, dirt jump tricks always were for me. If I learned a trick, I didn't really have it until I lost it and then learned it for the second time. Then it was on lock. Yeah. Yeah. Then it was that, then he got it. I think that's a thing. Maybe that's like an ADD brain thing, you know? Like, right. like <laughs> you had referenced earlier, I think it's before we started, you're like, oh, my ADD. And I said, it's a superpower. And you're like, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> but I think yeah. that maybe, you know, like, all right, got it. All right, it's gone. But then you get yeah. it that second time and you're it's in there. I think that the superpower of it is that the like, extreme focus that you can put into things that you like yeah. and and it's like i don't <laughs> for good know. or bad <laughs> yeah exactly exactly like yeah i can i can be extremely focused on drinking all the beers or i can be extremely <laughs> extremely focused in like like learning how to edit you know what i mean and and whereas like maybe some people i don't know what it's like to not be an add person but like I would think that some people they're like, yeah, I don't want to sit in front of that computer for 12 hours looking up like how to edit and continue to do it all the way to when I'm laying in bed thinking about trying to go to sleep. And I'm still like, so if this is how you do that, you, you know, like I just can't let fucking something go. Yeah. And I would imagine normal people are like. They're after a few hours, they're like, I'm moving on for a lot. Yeah. You know, I'll come back tomorrow, but I'm going to move on, you know? And, and for me, it's just like, just keep going. But uh, yeah, like for I sure. said, it's a plus and a minus because on the other hand, my wife is like, uh, dude, you need to do something else. Like, yeah. seriously. Like, yeah. Like when I started YouTube, 
Oh my God. I could take, you could say anything to me and I could turn that into a YouTube conversation. <laughs> they'd, be, they'd, be, they'd be like, did you read the Bible lately? And they're like, let me tell you, there's some channels about Bibles. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's how any hardcore YouTube person is, right? Like they'll just like, oh, who was it? Some friend who was on a trip with like uh, Jamie O'Brien is a long time ago. So like, yeah, he talks about YouTube a lot. It's like the obsession when YouTube is going good people yeah. get obsessed with it, you know? And, yeah. uh, and I always think about that with YouTube as well. It's like when you watch channels, like take off, it's like, okay, well it's, it always seems like whatever the thing is that your channel becomes known for, you better like that thing because that's the thing that you're going to get addicted to repeating right. and continuing. So it's like, that's the motivator to always just like make things that you feel good about making and enjoy doing. Cause you don't want to end up in a scenario where you're like, Oh man, my channel is all about like turning my kids' homework into a, a working bike part. And now I got to yeah. figure out how to take binder paper and make a trailer. Like this is not sustainable, <laughs> you know? Right, right. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, as we're sitting here talking, like I've made so many jokes about like, like, like vegan cults or like CrossFit cults. And I, and I just realized I'm in a YouTube cult. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even know it. <laughs> It's a crazy thing, man. People get super into it. And uh, yeah. I mean, I guess when like when it starts working and it's rolling in, you know, like that's got to be super motivating. Um, yeah, I think but, the dopamine from it is like it, it's it's um, it's very, very different than other things that you can do. You know, yeah. like if you're riding bike, like you only get that dopamine, like for the most part, when you're riding the bike. Right. But like with YouTube, it's like you could get a message or a comment. Or, uh, you know, look at your your subscriber count at any point and get that hit. You know, right. like your phone's like, ding, 11 o'clock. Guess what? You know, it's like, you know, you wake up in the morning. It's like, hey, you want your daily dose of, of uh, dopamine? Let's see what happened in uh, Australia while you were sleeping. You know? Dude, <laughs> crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I started hiding some apps from myself on my phone for that reason. Cause you like right. open up your phone for something and you, you go on Instagram. Why am I here? Yeah. So like I yeah. bury it a little bit, you know, it's like, all right, I got to like post some stuff, but I don't necessarily need to like click on it when I didn't mean to click on it, you know? Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. I'm going to hide you underneath all these other things. Right. Um, when you look back on all the things that you've done throughout the years on, on a bike, like, and you're, you're like, kind of wrapping it all up in your head what are the what's like the one that comes to mind where you're like that was really awesome hmm that's a tough one right there i mean it could just be like sitting on a bus with a bunch of your buddies you know one day you know what i mean or like i guess like, well you helped you helped me there because now you've like you said a key word that like got me somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> when I look back, I think how irregular it was that my college experience was being on the drop-in bus with like a bunch of Canadian mountain bikers. That's what I did the week after high school was went up to Whistler for the slope style contest up there and then got on a bus with uh, a group who was filming a TV show and we toured around BC and, you know, instead of like going to college, that was my like, okay, you're done with high school now. Like go on a bus, travel to different trails and jumps and film footage and have a camera put in your face and tell us what this experience was like. 
And when I think back now, I'm like, that's kind of a trip, you know, like, I guess things always make more sense in hindsight, but I'm like, that kind of prepared me for everything. It prepared me for, um, you know, being in bike videos, it prepared me for being on future, hosting future TV shows. It helped me for hosting broadcasts. It helped me become a better rider and go do well at contests. And it was all this crash course experience in a couple months. And now you look back at how I spent the, the next 20 years and you're like, well, I learned everything on those couple months on that bus and I'm still applying them now. Even like having a YouTube channel, it's like, it's riding and it's, and it's creating a story out of something and being on camera and talking about it. It's kind of a trip. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how like formidable that time of your life is, you know, like how much it, it impacts everything, you know? For sure. Yeah. yeah and, but yeah. yeah, in terms of the future, I just like, I want to enjoy mountain biking more every day. And, uh, and you know, there's, there's, so many trails going up everywhere. And so I, I always feel like I traveled a ton to go do very specific thing, you know, whether that be a contest or a film shoot. And now I think um, what would be really cool is to go places just to, just to ride them. You know, you can film them and stuff too, but like have the objective be to like experience places rather than being like, we got to leave with enough footage on this hard drive to finish this segment or, or like, this was a waste or like I got to get on the podium or, you know, this was a waste, you know, get those points to stay invited to the contest. That's always the objective. I've traveled so many cool places, but always been so laser focused on a particular objective. And so, um, yeah, just like what we were talking about at the beginning about like enjoying every trail you're on. I want to enjoy every opportunity I have to go on a trip and, and ride new trails and, and meet new people and ride trails with them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I can definitely relate there. I know that, um, like for instance, I went to Jamaica, um, I think it was last year or the year before. I can't even remember anymore, but it's like, while I was there, I went on this little mountain biking trip and, uh, um, the trails were not like, there was nothing to write home about, you know, but except for the fact that I was in Jamaica in the jungle riding bikes, that was cool, you know? Yeah. And it was like, take it in for that and just that alone, you know, and, and that, sure. um, that experience is like definitely not one of the anywhere close to any epic rides that I've done, you know, like there's that, but it is one that I'll, I'll, I'll cherish for my whole life just because yeah. it was like, this is really rad, man. I'm like on an Island in the middle of freaking Caribbean riding bicycles. This is rad. You, and you, you see more stuff than you would if you didn't have your bike with you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're going through neighborhoods in a way that you're like, you're like, you're deep, you're in there, you know, like this is yep. where it's, it's, this is real Jamaica. This is not like, like, um, the resort, you know? Yeah. So, a lot um, of times when you travel to a faraway country like that, the trails that you ride are the footpaths that people use to get around their neighborhood. And, and like, yeah. what better way to like really see how other cultures live in the world than to just be right there in it. And and yeah, the yeah. bike takes you, takes you down those like random paths that weren't optimized for bike riding, but that's not really the point. <laughs> that's not yeah, why you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Those were like th those trails definitely were exactly like what you said. They were like old, like basically like trade routes and stuff like that. And it's, it's really interesting, you know. But um lots of cool things on the bike. We're just about at two hours, man. And it's like really easy to talk to you. I've had a great time chatting. 
I always like to ask people at the end of the show, just like what YouTube channels they like to watch, just whether it has to do with biking or anything like your, Hey, basket weaving is what I've been watching lately. Just to, just to, just see what you like to listen to or check out. I watch so many music YouTube channels and then I watch so many surf YouTube channels yeah. and, uh, and you is know, there like surf people like 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 there is mountain bike like POV kind of like telling the story like that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Everything. I totally didn't even know. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what's kind of cool is like no matter what what you're into, there's every different type of piece of content these days that can that can you know give you what you're looking for. It's like. <laughs> If if we've got our Sam Pilgrim YouTube channel, surfing's got there. It's Sam Pilgrim YouTube channel, and so does music. And if you've got like your Brandon Semenuk YouTube channel, well, surfing's got that as well. And uh, right. and so I know I I love watching mountain bike stuff, and I'm always gonna see it because I don't have to seek it out. Like it's in my it's in my day to day. You know, yeah. I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be exposed to it. But um, yeah, it's fun having those other hobbies as well, and those other things that you like. And, um, so yeah, a lot of YouTube, a lot of YouTube music channels and a lot of, um, YouTube surf channels. Right on, man. Well, Hey, like I said, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and, and chat with me and, and all, all, all the people that are listening. I'm sure they enjoyed it as well. Those of you guys that are listening, thanks so much. If you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe, you know, how all the, the social media stuff works. If you, um, happen to be looking for some new gloves, swing by Tasco or a new bike check out Fazari. Honestly, I'm really stoked to be working with them this year. And um, I 100% would not be taking any kind of sponsorship from a company that I didn't really stand behind. So I, I um, wholeheartedly recommend them without a doubt. So definitely give them a look if, if you're doing that. If you're swinging by Tasco, you can use Biker B1KER and, and save some money too while you're at it. At the end of the day, though, you can always do something for free. And that's just remember, it only takes a bike to be a biker. Get out and be one. Ha, ha, ha.